incomparable kindness to the less than the least, to the broken, the battered, and weak. To all who are hungry, there comes a call to be filled with the fullness of God. It's beyond all you can see, Father, that you believe. It's a mystery, a mystery. My prayer for you is that you would know how wide, how long, and how high, how deep is the love. Deep is the love of Christ. The width of two arms outstretched on a tree, the length of the road to Calvary, the height of the crown on a cruel cross, the depth of the pain is the cost. All for you. All for me, all for love, did he bleed? All to set us free, he set us free. And my prayer for you is that you would know how wide and how long and how high, how deep is love. Deep is the love of Christ. Oh, how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love. How deep is the love of Christ. How wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love, how deep is the love of Christ. Oh, how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love. that neither life nor death nor its angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He loves you church. Good morning. As uh, Pastor Allen said uh, this is going to be our True Love Waits uh, banquet part of our service here, and actually, uh, from this time forward, uh, I want to call it the True Love Obeys banquet, uh, because uh, we did this, started this, I don't know, 20, 22 years ago, and um, 
as I think about the true love waits part, saving yourself for sexual purity until you enter biblical marriage, um, you know, it starts way back before that. There's all kinds of things that will lead you into sin, uh, and we need to be holy in all areas of our life and concerned about all areas of our life. So uh, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. But just to give you kind of an idea of how the service is going to work uh, this morning, uh, I'm going to preach God's Word here, and then I'll have an altar call. And after the altar call, um, the youth and their parents will come forward. The youth that have spoken with their parents and they went over the pledge and uh, they think that their um, young one is ready uh, to understand the commitment and uh, they are fully in support of that, they will come forward. They may be too young and that's totally fine. Or they may not be ready themselves. As I've told the youth, I don't want you coming forward because everybody else is coming forward. I want you to come forward because... It's truly your heart's desire. And all they're going to do is they're going to share with you the things that they're committing themselves to, and they're going to ask you to pray for them. And I told them in return, we're going to ask them to pray for us because this is not just for the youth. This is for all of us. Um, and so uh, after they will make that commitment, David will close us in a, in a song, and the youth will go back the back we'll meet in the kitchen and you all are welcome to go put your, your bibles up your purses whatever you want to do in your cars and go back and just have a seat at any table you want to sit at and we will we'll come up there and they they'll begin to ask you for your drink order and for your if you want a salad and and all those things so they'll come to you and we'll serve it in different stages uh, so that's what will be happening now just a heads up just want to put this out there for those of you who signed up for keto plates okay you got it if you didn't sign up for a keto plate, you're not getting it. And the reason why that is, is because those noodles are $5 per serving. And so we're not going to sample. Okay, we, if you ordered it, you got it. If you didn't reserve it, this is not the time to sample. You can, we'll give you the recipe and you can go get the noodles and try it yourself. But uh, anyway, they're very expensive and we want to take care of those that are and honor that diet. But if you're not on it, uh, this is not the time to sample. So anyway... But I do want to thank Miss Erin uh, for her dedication of uh, preparing the food and helping us, uh, me and the youth, to know uh, how to cut a tomato and strawberries and onion and and uh, and just and all the others that have worked uh, in the back setting up the decorations because there's so many and I don't want to miss, miss anyone's name. But we're just so thankful for them to make this a special day. So. Also, I want to thank Pastor Allen uh, for your sermon notes. Um, he's put all those together, and I'm sorry for the print being so small. There's a story behind that. Uh, but anyway, I don't want to get into it, but I do want to thank him for whittling that down and, and doing that for me so y'all can have it. And, and, of course, Alan putting it up online so you could follow along for those who aren't able to be here this morning. The title of today's message is Conduct Unbecoming of a Saint. I think we all know what conduct is. It's, it's our behavior, right? It's our lifestyle. Unbecoming, we don't think of that word or probably use that word a lot today, uh, but that means not fitting or appropriate or unseemly. And then saints, uh, it means holy ones. Uh, and uh, I heard Adrian Rogers say this one time, there's two people in the world, two types of people. 
They're the saints and the ain'ts, right? Saints are Christians. If you have, um, God has opened your eyes to your sin and he's dragged you to himself and you've confessed your sin and you've repented of your sin, he's gave you the faith to believe and trust in that. And that's what you're trusting in Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection alone for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you are a saint. God has placed your spirit within you. It's not something that you have to be voted on or you have to do a miracle or something like that, as a Catholic church may have you do. But we see that in Acts 9, 32. It says this, Now it came about when Peter was traveling through all those parts that he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydia. So who? The saints that lived in Lydia. And we see it through Scripture, Romans 15, 31, 1 Corinthians 16, 15, 2 Corinthians 9, 1, Ephesians 1, 1, uh, Colossians 1, 2, Hebrews 6, 10, and Jude 1, 3 of, of the saints being Christians. So if you are a Christian, you are a saint. You are a holy one. In 1 Timothy four sixteen, it says this, Pay close attention to yourself and your teaching. Preserve in these things. As you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. So Paul's encouraging Timothy to watch himself and to watch his teaching. In fact, the NIV translation is watch your life and your doctrine closely. You know, in life as we live, we can get comfortable with things. And uh, maybe sometimes a little too comfortable. Uh, I have worked for a certain vending company for 26 years, and um, it's, I know it like the back of my hand. I know what to do. Um, and about two weeks ago, I was asked to uh, move a vending machine from one part of a bank to the other part of the bank, and I've done that seriously over a thousand times. Uh, and I'm not saying that as just a bogus number. I've done it over a thousand times. There's no doubt about it. So I'm very confident in my skills to pick up a vending machine and move the vending machine. And so I went and I looked at the vending machine. I saw that it was leaned up against a, a, like a bookcase in kind of between a doorway and grabbed that vending machine to take it to turn and get up in the, in the bank and get out of there because uh, I have a lot of stops I have to make. So I grabbed that vending machine and I turned and the next thing I know, I am, I've hit the floor as hard as you could, I've ever hit a floor, and as David Hell was so kind to remind me, as hard as I've ever hit a floor at the age that I am uh, today, uh, and I cannot tell you the pain that I was in. And all the time when I was laying on the floor, I was trying to think, what just happened to me? What just happened to me? And I got up, very slowly, but I got up, and I looked, and I saw an umbrella that was like bent in half. And evidently, uh, not to my knowledge, uh, there was an umbrella leaning against that machine. And when I lifted that machine up perfectly, it must have fell between my legs. And when I turned, it just flopped. You know, it's right on the ground. See, I thought I was paying close attention. But reality smacked me upside the ribs and my knee and reminded me, you need to pay more close attention. I was too lax because I'd have done it a thousand times. I knew what I was doing. You know, it's one thing to fall and to hurt yourself. And that's why I came in this side. I didn't come up to make a dramatic entrance. It takes me forever to get up steps. I mean, I'm, I'm healing, but I didn't want to, you know, take 30 minutes to get up the steps. Uh, but anyway, 
it's one thing to fall and hurt yourself. It's a whole other thing um, to fall in an area that could destroy your testimony, that could bring reproach to the name of Christ. Those are so much more serious things. So conduct unbecoming of a saint. The text that we're going to be in this morning is Ephesians 5, 1 through 8. That's what we're going to be looking at this morning. It says this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you, and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But do not let immorality or any impurity or greed be named among you, as improper among the saints. And there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse gesturing, which are not fitting, but rather thanksgiving. For this, is, for this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. For you were formerly darkness, but now you are in the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light. The first thing we see here is in verse 1. What's the motivation for us to be imitators of God? It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. What's the motivation? Well, when you see therefore, I've heard John MacArthur say this. When you see a therefore in Scripture, you've got to find out what the there is for. And how you do that is you go back to the Scripture above that. Previously, what is being spoken? What has God said? And we see in, Luke, I'm sorry, in Ephesians 4, 32, tells us this, to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. So what is the motivation? It's our love and our appreciation for Christ and what he's done for us. That's why we want to imitate him. We are his children. And if we are his children, then we are to act like his children. In John 13, 14 through 17, it says, If then the Lord and teacher washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. Jesus goes on to say, Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, neither is the one who sent him greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Another way that we imitate Christ is through our service and our love for others. We place others above ourselves. When Alexander the Great discovered a, a coward was in his army, whose name was also Alexander, he told the soldier, renounce your cowardness or renounce your name. Those who carry God's name are to be imitators of his character. And by his grace, it is possible to reflect him even in our pres present limitations. When we see the word imitate, what does that mean? It's a term which means to mimic. Someone who copies specific characteristics of another person. As imitators of God, Christians are to imitate God's characteristics and, above all, his love. 
In fact, 1 John 2.6 says the one who says he abides in him, the one who says he's a Christian, the one who says he's a saint, a holy one, ought himself what? To walk in the same manner as he walked. If we are a Christian, then we are to imitate God. If the Holy Spirit is living within us, we are going to imitate God. The second thing we see here in verse 2, it says, And walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. We are to walk in love. And we see walk, it means a habitual pattern or, or a lifestyle. Walk is a very common phrase that we see in Scripture when it talks about this. Uh, just in the, the book of Ephesians, in, in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 17, uh, Paul says this, Therefore I say to you, and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk, but in the fertility of their mind, that we're to walk differently than the world. We are holy ones, set apart, pure. We are to walk in the light in Ephesians 5, 8. As we saw there, for you were formerly in darkness, but now you're in our light, in the light of the Lord, walk as children of the light. We see in verse 15 of chapter 5, walk in wisdom. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And then chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, continues uh, this theme, walk in a worthy manner. It says, therefore... Because of this, the prisoner of the Lord entreats you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling for which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. We're called to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We are to again... Walk in love. That's what we saw in verse 2. Walk in love. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-six 36 through 40, Jesus is asked, which is the greatest commandment? Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and the foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So when Jesus answering the question, which is the greatest commandment, he gives two. Number one, to love God, right? With everything, with all your being. And number two, to love your neighbor as yourself. In John 13, 34 through 35, this is a new commandment I give to you. That you should love one another even as I have loved you. So now we see the depth and the width of his love. That we are to love others as Christ has loved us. That you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now the question is, what's love? That's the question. Uh, I traveled to Knoxville uh, a couple times a month, and when I'm up there, uh, I listen to a talk radio show, and it's just 
kind of a laid-back talk radio show. They don't really get into political things and stuff like that. It's just kind of good nature stuff. And uh, these guys are my age. They're in their 50s. And uh, they had a young kid in there, like 24 years old. And this is not anything against young 20-year-old. You know I love you. I love you very much. But they had a young kid in there, and they were having a lot of fun with him. Because they would mention stuff like TV shows and things like that, and he had no idea what they were talking about. And so they would give him a little test, and they would just laugh at his ignorance of what they were talking about. Um, And so uh, they decided one day, hey, we want you to give us a test. You ask us things about your generation, and we'll see how smart we are. And um, so I'm just telling you from this 24-year-old what he said is going on today. I don't know. I've never heard this stuff, but this is what he said. They were going to define words, right? Uh, Gucci. Have you ever heard of Gucci? Okay. I have only heard of Gucci being like a handbag, a very expensive handbag or purse or something like that. Uh, From this young man's thing, he's saying Gucci means great or cool. That's Gucci. Okay. I'm like, okay, that's not... That's not right. But then he goes on to say, jelly. You're jelly. What's jelly? So they, those guys would try to guess, like I would guess, jelly is something you put on a biscuit or toast, or right? Wasn't that what you think? Jelly means jealous. And it went on, just from, you know, thing after thing after thing. You know, I got to thinking about that, and, um, and I knew none of the words. Not, I could never get none of them. And I also thought, they don't make any sense. Why are they doing that? Why would you say I'm jelly when you just say I'm jealous? Or I don't understand it. But anyway, um, the point being, we change words. We change meanings of words. Now that generation says that's what that means. It's not what we used to say. And I, I'll go back to my childhood. I used to get up and watch the Flintstones. Y'all may not know who that is. The younger people, older people surely do. You know, yabba dabba do. You remember that? Remember when it says we'll have a yabba dabba do time? A gay old time? Well, you know, I thought nothing about that when I was a kid, right? But that's a totally different meaning now, right? When we hear the word gay, we don't think of happy, right? We think of something totally different. The wonderful thing about God and his word is it's the same forever. It will never pass away. It will always stand. And so when God defines what love is for us, we don't have to guess, right? He defines it. He defines it and he models it, right? In fact, let's look in here at Mark 10, 17 through 23. It says this, and as he was as he was setting out on this journey, a man ran up to him, and he knelt down before him, and he began asking him, saying, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the question is a great question. What do I got to do to get to heaven, right? But he's like, what do I got to do, right? So he thinks he has to do something. So he's asking a good question, and Jesus says, Why do you call me good? Look what he says. No one is good except God alone. Was Jesus God? Absolutely. But he saw him as a, just a good teacher. And there is no man good. This man thinks he's good. And so he's letting him know there's no one good except God. He goes on to say, 
You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, and honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth up. So he thinks he's kept all those commandments. He always did what his mom and dad said. He never looked at anyone with lust. He never took anything without asking. He always told the truth. And it says this, verse 21, and looking at him, what does it say? Jesus felt a love for him. How does Jesus Christ express this love that he has for this man? This is how he does it. He said to him, one thing you lack, that is key. What is he saying that right there? You're not going to heaven. You're not going to heaven. This is what you must do. He says, Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But at these words his face fell and he went away grieved, for he was one who owned much property. And Jesus, looking around, said to his disciples how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. Is how we get to heaven selling all that we have and giving the money to poor and to come follow the Lord? That's not how we get to heaven, right? It's by our faith and our trust in Christ and Christ alone, right? It's by faith we're saved, not by works. See, Christ can do what men you can't do. He can see the heart, right? He knew that this man was not possessed by God, but was possessed by his possessions. And see, he said he had done all that before, right? I've done all those things before. What was the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? The second, to love your neighbor as yourself, right? God is telling him, give up all you have, come follow me. He would not do it. He would not be obedient to what God was calling him to do. Second of all, he would not give to his fellow brother and sister who had need, right? So he wasn't loving God. He wasn't loving uh, others. And he was guilty of what? Breaking it all. Breaking it all. So true love is speaking truth to others. That's love. Not acting like nothing's happened or tolerating what's going on, but letting them know there's a problem here. And if you don't repent and turn, you're going not to go to heaven, but you're going to go to hell for all eternity. In 1 Corinthians 13, it describes what love is. There's many descriptions of love. Love is patient, love is kind, love is gentle. But in verse 6 it says this, Love does not rejoice in what? Unrighteousness and untruth. But it rejoices with truth. So true love doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness. In fact, Romans 13, 7, 10, 7, 10 tells us what we are to owe. A lot of you may be followers of Dave Ramsey, and you want to be debt-free, right? You don't want to be slaves to anyone uh, or owe anyone. 
But here we see a, a debt that we all need to owe and need to be paying. We see that in Romans 13, 17. It says, render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom due, fear to whom fear is, and honor to whom honor. In verse 8, owe nothing to anyone except what? To love one another. To love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. And think about this. For this, you shall not commit adultery. If you are loving your spouse and you are loving your fellow man and women, are you going to commit adultery? No. You're not. Are you going to murder them? If you, if you love God, are you going to murder someone? No, you're not. Are you going to steal? Are you going to covet? Want what they want? If there's any other commandment summed up in saying this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. So a characteristic of our life is to love, to walk in love. Well, how can we love as Christ has loved us? In Romans 5, 5, it says this, And hope does not disappoint, because what? The love of God has been poured out within our hearts, through the Holy Spirit who's, who's given to us. The Spirit lives within us. We have all things that we need for godliness, right? And Philippians 2, 1 through 8 says this, If therefore there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection and compassion... Make my joy complete by being in the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. He took him, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of man and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Giving to oneself to others is the epitome of agape love, of the unconditional love that God calls us to. Biblical love is not a pleasant emotion or a good feeling about someone, but it's the giving to oneself for his welfare. Divine supernatural love is unconditional love, love that depends entirely on the one who loves and not on the merit or the attractiveness or the response of the one loved. Christ did not simply have a deep feeling or an emotional concern for mankind, nor did he sacrifice himself because we were deserving. What does the scripture say? While we were yet sinners, he gave himself up for us, purely of the sovereign, gracious love, taking our sin upon himself and paying its penalty on our behalf. We show our love by offering ourselves up to God being living sacrifices. Are we willing to die for him? Absolutely. But are you willing to live for him? Romans 12, 1 says this, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living and holy sacrifices, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. 
You know, when I have the opportunity to do marriage counseling with uh, couples, uh, the one thing that I, I try to tell them and remind them is, you know, on that day that they enter into a marriage covenant with one another, they're gonna, I'm going to ask them certain things. Will you be faithful and, and sickness and health and, and all those things and the good and the bad? And, and they're going to say, I do. But that is only the first time they say, I do. Each day of their life, hour by hour, they have to say, I, will do, I do. I will commit myself to being faithful to you. I will commit myself to ministering to you. I will commit my, it's a day-by-day thing. It's just like following Christ. Daily, we sacrifice ourselves as living sacrifices. You know, it's easy to have an animal and you kill it and you lay it on the altar. It cannot move. A living sacrifice is very difficult to control, right? But we are to offer ourselves up. That is our worship to God. It's not just singing a song and raising a hand. It's our lives. It's our obedience to His call to our lives. And in John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you're what? You're going to keep my commandments. True love obeys. True love obeys. If you say you love God and you're living contrary to what he says, you are not loving God. If I tell my mom and dad, my mom and dad asked me to do something, and I'm not doing it, but I say, I love you, mom and dad, I'm not loving my mom and dad. If I tell my wife I love her, yet I'm yelling at her, right? I'm not loving my wife. You see, if we love God, We're going to obey his commandments. And when we don't, when we fail, it is going to destroy us. It is going to drive us to our knees. It's going to drive us to repentance. Godly sorrow leads to repentance, right? And we're going to accept his forgiveness because he tells us, 1 John 1, 9, he's faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And we're going to continue to strive on. But if we love him, We're going to obey his commandments. So don't think that you are a Christian and you habitually disobey his word. You're not a Christian. He gives us some things that should not be in our lives, that can't be in our lives. Immorality, impurity, greed. They shall not be named among God's children, his, what, holy ones, his saints, thus conduct unbecoming of a Christian. Verse 3, do not let immorality or impurity or any greed even be named among you as it's proper among the saints. And then IV, it says, but among you, but there does not even be a hint of sexual morality. Well, what is immorality? Porneia is where we get the word pornography. It refers to all sexual sin, all sexual sin. And all sexual sin is against God, and it's against godly love. It's totally contrary to what God has called us to do. In Ephesians 5, 11 through 12, Paul will tell us, it says, don't participate in the unfruitful deeds of the darkness, but instead expose them And look at verse 12, for it is disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in the secret. 
What's impurity? It refers to anything that's unclean or, or filthy. Jesus used the word to describe the rottenness of decaying bodies in a tomb in Matthew 23, 27. The other ten times the word is used in the New Testament is associated with sexual sin. It refers, listen, to immoral thoughts, passions, ideas, fantasies, and every other form of sexual corruption. See, we like to categorize things in our life. And we like to to judge ourselves against other people. And you can say, well, I'm not like him or I'm not like her. But you know what the standard is that we're to measure ourselves against? It's against Christ. Christ was perfect, sinless. How do you measure up? God calls us to be holy, to be set apart, to be pure. How are you holding up? Do you think because I have not had sexual intimacy, I've not had intercourse that I'm pure, but you allow yourself to have thoughts, you have passion that run within you, you look at things you shouldn't look at, you allow your mind to dwell on things you shouldn't look at, you hear things you shouldn't hear, that's your habitual pattern of life, and you think you're a saint, Matthew 5, 27-30, Jesus really drove this home. When he said, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. So they're like, I've never committed adultery, so I'm good. Right? Verse 28, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. See, it's the look. You haven't done the act. It's the look. The look is wrong. Do you understand that? The look is wrong. It's just like Pastor was telling us about David. When he looked on the roof, he saw the sheep. What he could have turned, ran. I was, oh my goodness, I shouldn't have seen that. But he looked and saw that was she, she was beautiful and what desired to have her. You see, if it would have just been the look, it would have been wrong. It's not becoming of a Christian. It's not becoming of a holy one. He goes on to say, this is how serious Christ says. He says, if your right eye makes you stumble, what? Tear it out. Throw it from you. For it is better for you than one of your parts of your body perish than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Throw it off from you. For it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to go to hell. That's how serious Christ is telling us to do that. Whatever's in your life that's causing you to stumble, you need to get rid of it. You know, when Potiphar's wife was trying to seduce Joseph, Joseph didn't say, let's sit down here and talk about it, Miss Potiphar. Let's talk about what's going on, how you feeling. What did he do? He got up and ran. He got out of there. He didn't give himself an opportunity to sin. And he said, how can I sin against God and do this wicked thing? Greed. Greed is something we always kind of think of about with money. People are greedy. But in Exodus 20, 17, uh, one of the Ten Commandments, you shall not covet. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not what? Covet your neighbor's wife. 
or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to his neighbor. Every form of sexual morality is an expression of self-will, self-gratification, and self-centeredness of greed. It is by nature contrary to love, which is self-giving. Immorality and purity are both forms of greed in the realm of sexual sin. They are manifestations of sexual covetousness and express counterfeit love, which is really hate, since love seeks the purity of others and is unselfish. You know, I tell the youth all the time, when you get to a certain age and you and your mom and dad agree that it's time that you can start courting or, or dating or whatever, that you want to make sure that that person is a Christian. And I've heard Pastor Allen say you want to run to Christ as hard as you can run and look to your left and look to your right and whoever's running beside you, that's a potential mate. God calls a husband to love his wife as Christ loved the church, right? To give himself up for her, right? They may wash her with the water of the word, right? To be able to present her without wrinkle or blemish. And the wife is to submit as unto the husband, to have reverence for him as unto the Lord, right? How can a husband... How can a man who's not a Christian love his wife as Christ loved the church? How can he wash her with the water of God's word? He cannot. He cannot. How can a wife submit as unto the Lord and have reverence for her husband as unto the Lord? How can she do that? She cannot. Look, it's hard enough when you are a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit living in you, right? I don't think there's a day in my life where I've loved Angie as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I try, empowered by the Spirit to be that husband, but I fail continually. But a person who doesn't know the Lord, there's not a chance. And that is the greatest need of a man, and that is the greatest need of a woman. And your marriage is never going to bring glory and honor to the Lord without that. That's why it's important that we are Marrying someone that is, guess what, concerned with our purity. If you've got a guy in your life who's trying to compromise your purity, or a woman in your life who's trying to compromise your purity, run. Run from them. And you may say, well, yeah, but I know so-and-so. Guess what? One in a million. Because I can show you 30 other people that didn't work out that way. It's by God's grace if it did happen and it worked out. Run from that person. They are not the one. They are not the one. So this masquerading is something beautiful, ungood, and rewarding. Because of these sins, men are so attractive and promising. Spouses are forsaken. Children are neglected. Homes are destroyed. Friends are disregarded. As an effort is not, no effort is spared to fulfill the desire for which the one is lusted after. All this in the name of so-called love. Because of the strong sexual nature of human beings, sexual sins are powerful and become perverted in unimaginable ways. If given free reign, sexual sins lead to complete insensitivity to feelings and the welfare of others, the horrible brutality, and frequently to murder, as we see too often in the news. What's the big deal about immorality? or impurity, or, or greed, being a lifestyle of a saint. What's the big deal? In Ephesians 4, 22-28, says that, In your reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted, 
in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be re may be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Therefore, because that's happened, because you're saved, you have the spirit within you, God has begun to work in you, what? You're laying aside falsehood. Now you're speaking truth. Each one of you with his neighbor, for you are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals, what? Steal no longer, but rather him labor, performing with his hands what is good, in order that he may, what? Has something to share with him who has need. In Galatians 5, 19-21, it says this, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envy, and drunkenness, carousing, and like these of which I forewarned you, just as I forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of heaven. What is the big deal if that's your habitual pattern of your life? You are going to hell. You are not a holy one. You're not a saint. That's why it's important. If this characterizes your life, you need to turn and repent. Listen, this is not me speaking to you. This is not my words. This is not my opinion. If there's another interpretation of Scripture where I'm missing it, you please come and tell me. This is God speaking. Because you get one life, and this is it. The Bible tells us today is a day of salvation. If God has opened your eyes to your lostness, you need to come to this altar this morning and surrender to him. Whatever God establishes, Satan what? Counterfeits. Where God establishes true love, Satan produces counterfeit love. Counterfeit love characterizes Satan's children. Those who are of the world, just as true love characterizes God's children, those are citizens of heaven. In contrast to the godly, unselfish, forgiving love, the world's love is lustful, it's self-indulgent, it's love because the object of love is attractive, it's enjoyable, it's pleasant, it's satisfying, it's appreciative, it loves in return, it produces desired feelings or likely to repay, repay in some way. It is always based on the other person's fulfilling one's own needs and desires and meeting one's expectations. It is always conditional and always being self-centered. It is concerned about commitment, but only satisfaction. It is not concerned about giving, but giving, but only getting. It has no basis for primacy because its purpose is to use and exploit rather than to serve and to help. It lasts until the one love no longer satisfies or until he or she disappears for someone else. Well, God in his word tells us what to allow our minds to dwell on. See that in Philippians 4, 8, the things that are true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, good repute, excellence, anything worthy of praise, the Bible tells us to let our mind dwell on those things. Those are the things we allow our mind to dwell upon. But what should be coming out of our, our lives is... Um, or what's something else that should become our life is thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is to come from the saint's mouth, not filthiness, silly talk, or coarse gesturing. We see that in verse 4. And there must be no filthiness, silly talk, or coarse gesturing, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. 
Filthiness has to do with general obscenity. Any talk that's de uh, degrading or disgraceful. Silly talk is used only here in the New Testament. It's derived from moros, from which we get dull or stupid, the word from which we get moron. Lego, which is to speak. It is stupid talk. Talk only befitting someone who is intellectually deficient. It is sometimes referred to as low obscenity, foolish talk that comes from the drunk or the gutter mouth. It has no point except to give air of dirty worldliness. And coarse gesturing. This refers to talk that is more pointed and determined. It carries the idea of quickly turning something that is said and done, no matter how innocent, into that which is obscene and suggestive. It's the filthy talk of a person who uses every word and circumstance to display his immoral wit. It's the stock and trade of the clever talk show host who is never at a loss of sexual innuendos, but the same heart given over to moral filthiness. In light of such clear teaching of God's word, it is strange for so many Christians not only to discuss, but to laugh, to joke with impurity, almost at every form of sexual intimacy or corruption or perversion. But God's standard is clear. There must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse gesturing which are not fitting. Thanksgiving, that's an expression of unselfish, unselfishness, the selfish. The selfish and unloving person does not give thanks because he thinks he deserves good, every good thing that he receives. The unselfish and loving person, on the other hand, focuses on his life and his concerns and the needs of others. Whenever a good thing he receives from God or from another person, he counts as undeserved and gracious. He always is thankful because his spirit is one of loving and giving. Instead of using others, he serves them. Instead of trying to turn the innocent into moral, he seeks to change their moral into the righteous and holy. He is thankful for his holy life, that he's satisfying, it's a satisfying life, and people see the love of God, and, and he is a thankful person. If Christians are known for anything, it should be for love expressed towards God and others by unceasing thankfulness. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, And everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. The fifth thing that we see, there's a certain warning to the moral and pure covetous adulterous. He says this, for this is certain. For this with certainty, there is no immoral and pure person or covetous who is an adulterer has an inheritance of the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. The warning is for deceitful, empty words. And those words are, you can be immoral, you can be impure, you can be covetous, you can be an adulterer, and you're going to heaven. Because God loves you just the way you are. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. So the deception is what? These unrighteous people or wicked are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Well, who are they? Well, God gives us a definition of who they are. Fornicators, any sex outside of marriage, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals, thieves, covetous, drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, what, shall inherit the kingdom of God. But verse 11, and that's what some of you were. But you've been washed, you were satisfied, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. That's what you were. 
God can change you. God has changed me. And it's only by His grace. I didn't deserve it. Recently, Amy Grant has given an interview to the Washington Post. And she says this. She gave an interview with the Washington Post. She discussed her upcoming wedding on her farm. And a decade ago, she had a cautious interview in support for the LGBTQ persons. She came out in full support of the thing which evangelical Christians fear the most, same-sex marriage. The Post reported, in recent years, she has voiced her support for the LGBTQ community, where she has had large fans for decades. Now she talks about her and and her husband, Vince Gill's, plans to host her niece's wedding at their farm, which is the family's first bride and bride nuptials. Grant recalls her reaction when she first learned of her niece coming out. This is, this is what she said. What a gift to our family to just widen the experience of our whole family. Grant told the Post, Honestly, from a faith perspective, I do always say, Jesus just narrowed it down to two things, to love God and to love each other. I mean, hey, that's pretty simple. Is loving God allowing someone to sin? If you see somebody, you're driving home, and you see somebody getting ready to jump off a bridge, but they can't get their leg up, and you pull over and say, oh, can I help you get your leg up so you can jump off the bridge? Is that showing them love? Because that's who they are and that's what they want to do. You see how Satan has entered the church. Either she's lost or her mind, she's being conformed to the pattern of this world. I don't know which, but that ain't love. She should be crying and begging her knees to repent and turn from her sin, or she's going to go to hell. The last thing is we're not to be partakers with immoral, pure, greedious, or adulterers. Therefore, do not be partakers. For you were formerly in darkness, but now you're in light of the world. Walk as children of the light. You know, a lot of times we'll think, well, you know, I'm not saying that. I don't have the silly talk. I don't have the coarse gesturing. I'm not doing that. But what will you do? When the joke is told, will you laugh? Will you go to the movie when you know there's going to be a morality in it? You know there's going to be impure things? You know they're not praiseworthy, noble, pure things that you're going to see? You're being partakers. I'm not saying you're lost, but I'm saying it's conduct unbecoming of a saint. We're not to be partakers. Do not join the world in its evil, he says. Do not be partners with them in wickedness. Be partners with Christ in righteousness. Do not imitate the world, but rather be imitators of God as beloved children. Jesus' prayer in John 17, 15, 26 says this, I do not ask thee to take them out of the world, but to keep, keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. The word is truth. As thou didst send me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. 
And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in the truth. I do not ask in behalf of, of these alone, but for those who believe in me through their word, that they may be, all, they may be one, even as though thou Father art in me, and I in thee, they may also be in us, that the world may believe that thou hast did send me, and that the glory which thou hast given me, I have given them, that they may be one, we are one, I and them, thou and me, that they may be perfected in unity, that the world may know that thou didst send me and didst love them, even as I, did, I didst love me. Father, I desire that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, in order they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me. For thou didst love me before the foundation of the world, O righteous Father, although the world has not known thee, yet I have known thee. And these things have, thou hast done, didst send me, that I made thy name known to them, and will make it known, and that the love wherewith thou didst send me may be in them, and I in them. Let's pray. Praise team, if you'll come forward. Well, guys, we've opened up God's word, and the Bible says that the Bible is like a mirror. We see ourselves for who we are. It, it exposes us. The question is this morning, how are you going to respond? What has God laid upon your heart? Have you been living a lie? Have you been kidding yourself? Have you been living a secret life? Have you been being conformed to the pattern of this world? Has your mind been renewed? Do you want your life to be transformed? Or do you want to thank God for delivering you and making you a new creation, sanctifying you with his love and his word? Maybe you just want to grow in your discernment. Maybe you want to come to know him this morning and repent of your sin. The altar is open this morning. We are uh, going to sing one verse. When Christ called the disciples, he said, come follow me. They came. If God has spoken to you this morning, in whatever way that is, the altar is going to be open, and I encourage you to come. If you would like me to pray with you, I would be glad to pray with you. So we're going to sing one verse. If no one responds, then we'll end this part of our service. Let's stand. Oh.